And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles today to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to read chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. Jesus has turned his face to Jerusalem. He has set forth to that journey that he knows will take his life. And it is in this context we read. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely sent out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned toward those disciples and he rebuked them. They knew better than that. Then he and his disciples went on to another village. Verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If you follow me, you'll be homeless, is what he's saying. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but as you go and proclaim, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In commenting on this particular passage of Scripture, Dr. Fred Craddock, one of my favorite preachers who's with the Lord now, said it would be rather easy to get the impression that Jesus did not want many disciples. Listen to what he just said to these would-be followers of Jesus, and you can kind of get the understanding there. These things don't draw a crowd. But if you think about it, ancient teachers, rabbis, wise leaders would often test would-be followers to see if they were sincere about their desire to follow that person. There's an old story about a guru. A guru, like a wise man, lived on top of a mountain in a cabin, and a young would-be follower of this guru went up to the top of the mountain and knocked on the door of the cabin, and the guru answered, and the young man said, I want to be one of your disciples. And the guru slammed the door in his face. The next day, the young man went up again and knocked on the door. Same question. Again, the door slammed in his face. The third day, Same thing, knocks on the door, and the guru spat on him. A fourth attempt. And the young man went up to the door and knocked on it. I want to be one of your disciples. And the guru opened the door and welcomed him in and said, I was just trying to see if you were sincere. 
Jesus, I believe, is testing these would-be followers to see if they were sincere about following him because the road would not be easy. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that the road is not easy. It is difficult. There's another neat illustration that helps us understand this concept, and it's that movie, The Karate Kid. Now, it's not the one back from 1984 that I grew up with. Wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. But it's the one that came out about six years ago. It's a Disney film. My daughter and I watched it not long ago. And uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember the actor's name, Jackie Chan. He plays Mr. Han. Mr. Han is a maintenance worker in Beijing, China. And a young, young boy named Dre Parker uh, moved with his mother to Beijing because she got a job transfer there with an auto manufacturer. And so as they get settled in, it didn't take long for a bunch of other young kids to bully him because he was new and he was the outsider. And they used martial arts inappropriately to bully him and to beat him up. And he could not defend himself. Well, the maintenance worker, Mr. Han, was a martial arts specialist. He was a teacher of Kung Fu. And he had just not practiced that for a while. But he helped Dre learn martial arts, learn Kung Fu to be able to defend himself. And he saw this little attitude that Dre had. Dre would not listen to his mother. Dre would not pick his clothes up off the floor. Now, I know there are no parents have any problems like that at HRBC with their kids at home. These are other people's children, right? Not mine. And so he would come home and he would throw his stuff on the floor. He would take his jacket off and throw it on the floor. And she'd always be after him to pick his jacket up and he wouldn't listen. And so whenever Mr. Han started to teach Dre, he noticed that when Dre came over to his place, he threw his jacket on the floor. And so Mr. Han said, pick it up. Pick it up. Hang it up. Take it down. Put it on. Take it off. Drop it down. Pick it up. Hang it up. Take it down. Put it on. It's this whole thing. Put it on. Take it off. Put it down. Pick it up. Hang it up. Take it down. Put it on. Take it off. Put it down. And over a period of time, Mr. Han was able to see that by Dre's listening and obedience and following through with what he wanted him to do, that he was able to see that he was serious about being a student of Kung Fu and taught him how to defend himself. I believe that's what Jesus is doing here. I believe Jesus is seeing if these would-be disciples of Jesus Christ, these would-be followers, were serious because the road would be difficult. I think that, I think that people are up to a challenge. I believe that Jesus wanted people who were up to a challenge. Again, Fred Craddock. People prefer something that's demanding. People prefer something that's important. People want something that demands sacrifice and, and discipline rather than just mealy-mouthed, watered down. Anybody can do it. There's nothing to it. You don't really have to do anything. You don't have to be there, that sort of thing. People want more. 
And I believe young people today want more than that. Young people want more than just casual, comfortable Christianity. They want to serve. They want to get their hands dirty. They want to, to, to get out there in the thick of things with people. They truly want to make a difference in this world. The next generation does. The next generation does not want a job in the church or a ministry in the church where they don't have to do anything. And I don't believe you do either. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you over the years in this church or other churches have gotten a call from a committee, nominating committee, that said, we would like to know if you would like to serve on this committee, you really don't have to do anything. They don't meet very often. You really don't have to do anything. We just need to know if you'll serve. And sometimes you say, well, okay. But deep down inside, I think you want to do something. I think you want meaningful ministry. You and I both. And we want a commitment. We want something that's going to challenge us. People expect that the God of heaven will expect something of them, something at a cost. We see this throughout the Bible where would-be followers of God who make a difference want a challenge. That's our key thought for today. Jesus is looking for ordinary people who are up to an extraordinary challenge. Ordinary people who are up to an extraordinary challenge. That's how change happens in this world. People who step up who are up to an extraordinary challenge. In this passage today, Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. He knows what's going to happen. Luke tells us, at the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, he set out for Jerusalem. Being taken up to heaven, this means crucifixion. This means death. This means burial. This means resurrection and ascending to heaven. Jesus knows what's getting ready to happen, and he sets his face resolutely toward Jerusalem. And that's where the context of this story is. And he talks to these would-be disciples. And I want to zero in on the third one. The story of the third one where Jesus, where the, the man replies, let me go say bye to my, goodbye to my family. And then Jesus says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. I want to focus in on that because it raises the story in our minds and also raises, re- recalls the story in the disciples who are around him of Elijah and Elisha. The call of Elisha, which you heard Sarah, Sophie read so well. And Sophie, by the way, you did a great job with all of those names in the Hebrew Bible. Did you see though? So we, thanks be to God for that. Sometimes, you know, when you have to read the Bible, you're like, please, Lord, don't let it be all the names. And today, lots of names for Sophie. So, Elisha was not a wealthy person. Elisha worked for the family business. He had two head of oxen, and he was working them, and 11 other men were also working for the family business. And Elijah comes along. You remember from last week, God instructed Elijah to make other disciples, to follow him, to help him with his ministry of prophecy. Elijah could not do it all by himself. And God led Elijah to call out Elisha. And so Elisha is plowing along 
in the field with his oxen, and Elijah comes along and throws the mantle of leadership, of, of a prophet of leadership around Elisha. And this would have been the, uh, uh, an animal skin with the fuzzy side out. It was a prophet's cloak or a mantle. And then Elijah keeps on going, and Elisha runs after him. What do you want me to do? And uh, he, he, he wanted, Elijah wanted him to assume his ministry someday, to succeed him in ministry. And then Elisha says, well, first, let me go say goodbye to my family. And so Elijah, he says, remember what I've done to you in the NIV. Remember what I've done, just done to you. The message version says it a little bit better, a little more easy to understand. Elijah says, remember what just happened as you go home. So Elijah knows that it would be very difficult for Elisha to go back and say goodbye to his family and see his friends and eat his mom's dumplings and then leave again to come and follow Elijah. So Elijah says, remember what just happened here. Remember that I've given you my prophet's cloak. Remember that I've given you the mantle of leadership, that you're going to come alongside me and that you will assume my ministry someday. Remember these things when you go home and it's so good there and everything's familiar because the road is going to get difficult. So Elisha goes home and the Scripture tells us that not only did he barbecue the oxen and invite all of his friends to eat, but he burned the plowshares. He he, he gave up all that he had. That was his livelihood. That was the family business. And then he went to follow Elijah. This is the same understanding of followers of Jesus Christ. And as we reflect on this, I would like to make a few points that will help us to understand extraordinary commitment. The first one we've already talked about today, that Jesus calls us to stay close. Jesus calls us to stay close to Him as we are serving Him. He developed personal relationships with His followers. They walked together. They ate together. They worshipped together. They lived together. They depended on others' hospitality together. They needed to stay close to Jesus, not only to learn from Him, but to see how He dealt with difficulties. The same thing is for us today. We've got to stay close to Jesus as we go through this difficult world. We've got to remember what He's done for us. Just as Elijah said to Elisha, remember what happened here. Today, maybe you and I remember our baptism. Maybe we remember something significant spiritually in our lives that helps us to have the courage to face the future as we continue to serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The second thing, not only do we stay close to Jesus, but the second important principle about making this, these commitments to God is you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. How many of you, like me, like to have all of the information and the details before you say yes to something? Wouldn't you, many of you raise your hand? When we are asked to make a commitment... Often we like to know all of the details. How much time is it going to take? Uh, what's the cost? And what am I going to have to give up? What are the sacrifices in order for me to do this? But I, I want to suggest today that we don't have to understand all of that. We don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. 
Elisha did not know the details. Elisha simply received a cloak of the prophet, of leadership, the mantle of leadership, and he went home and he said goodbye to his family, and then he, he destroyed plan A, and he destroyed plan B, and then he went to follow Elijah. It's the same thing that Jesus asked the disciples, the would-be disciples to do, is to give up everything and follow him. Sometimes we just have to say yes to God. Now, there are times where a season of prayer is vitally important. There are times where a season of strategic planning and team building in a church is vitally important to sense what God is doing in the future. But often as Christians, when we are asked to do something, we will say, well, I just need to pray about it some more. Or we need to form a committee. And often, if we're not careful, we can hide behind the cloak of praying about something more or form another committee, and it prolongs us doing what we know God wants us to do in the very first place. We often don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Now, yes, there are times where those things are necessary and absolutely important, but other times in our Christian lives where God is speaking to us and we just know it, we know it, but we delay. And Jesus is saying, time is short. We need not delay. Follow me. That's what Moses did when God called him to lead the people out of Israel. He just went. That's what Abram did when God said, I, I'm going to lead you to a place where I will show you. Abram, he went. Jesus called those early disciples and said, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And they dropped their nets and they went. When Jesus called Peter out onto the water, he stepped out onto the water. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. What's happening in your life right now? Maybe you need one word. Maybe there's one word that God desires for you to hear today that you can begin to pray about over the course of this week. Maybe it's one word. Maybe your marriage relationship is struggling and you're, the door is over there and, and maybe that one word is stay. Stay. Maybe that one word for your health is trust. Maybe that one word for your calling in life is start. Start. Maybe that one word for your future family is adopt. Or maybe you're in a, a relationship that you know is not healthy. It's a dating relationship. And, and that one word for you is break up. Now, that's two words. Maybe God needed you to hear two words today because that thing's not good for you. And you just need to move on. Anyway, some of you, some of us, need to hear one word from God. And we're going to be bold enough to say, I don't know all of the details, but I'm going to obey God and move forward even though I don't, I don't understand everything. And then the last principle, the third one of extraordinary commitment is those God uses the most are the ones who, give, who, who hold on to the least. 
Just like Elisha, he went home and he slaughtered the oxen. That was his livelihood. He burned the plowshares. That was his livelihood. And then he totally and completely turned his face and followed Elijah. And he was his successor in ministry. And there are more miracles attributed to Elisha in the Bible than any other prophet except Jesus Christ himself. God used him in a mighty way. The ones God uses the most are the ones who give up, who hold on to the least. We see this with the disciples as they left everything to follow Him. The ones God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. So what plows do you and I need to burn? What plows do you and I need to burn? Maybe it's a sin and we need to turn around and we need to deal with that and we need to move on and follow Jesus. Maybe there are doubts that we have and we need to give those doubts to the Lord and and move forward even though that we don't understand everything about the Christian life and the walk with Jesus. Maybe there's a relationship and we need to burn the plow and we need to move forward and follow God through Jesus Christ knowing that that relationship has not been healthy for us. Maybe there's an addiction and we need to go to meeting and we need to burn the plowshares, whatever that is, whatever that might be holding back so that we can turn our face to follow Jesus. We don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Just be ready to answer in faith when the call comes. There may be others who are called to seminary. I, I listened to my preacher preach about God's call for several years before I finally got up the nerve to talk to Pastor Bill Coates and tell him that I was feeling this tug to ministry. I was working in youth ministry at our church. Melanie and I were volunteering with our youth group. We taught Sunday school for 11 and 12th graders. And it was through those youth that we experienced a call to serve God full-time in ministry and to leave everything in South Carolina and move to Richmond to start at a brand new seminary that didn't have any history. By the way, when I called the South Carolina Baptist Convention, Matthew, you're from South Carolina, and you know this, you get this. I called the South Carolina Baptist Convention after I talked to my pastor and I told him that I was I told them that I was planning to go to seminary. And they said, "Well, which one?" And I said, "Well, the new one in Richmond." Oh. And I said, "Well, I understand that as a, a Baptist, a member of a Baptist church in South Carolina that there is some scholarship money that I could be able to get to go to seminary." And they said, "Well, that not that one." They, they did send me $75. Yet we felt so, we didn't know all we needed to know, but we felt so burdened to respond to the call to ministry, to move to this brand new seminary, it was only four years old at the time, 1995, to come to Richmond, quit our job, sell our house, leave our family, and move here to Richmond to start all over again, and we're so glad we did. And we didn't know how we were going to get through that first year. We had no scholarship. Our church had given us some funding, but other people had already gotten the scholarships for that first year. And our second year, our church had a scholarship that helped us, and the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship ended up giving a grant to me that enabled me to go through seminary with no student loans. And I am forever grateful to the CBF for 
giving those funds to us that helped us to go through and get our theological education. And being at the CBF meeting in Greensboro this past week was just wonderful and and, uh, just so thankful to have the opportunity. But you and I don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. God is often calling us to burn some plowshares so that we can follow His will in our lives. And I don't know what that is for you, but I pray that you will seek God's counsel for that one word. At the bottom of your sermon notes in your bulletin, if you're looking at that, there is a blank. And it's simply a response to this question. What is God asking you to do that you need to obey immediately? What is God asking you to do that you need to obey immediately? Seek that one word from Him. Use this little outline, that little blank, this week in your personal worship time to listen to God and to begin praying about what that is. Let's pray together.